0: More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. So, uh, Pastor Appreciation um, in October, um, thank you guys so much for the generous gifts um, <clears throat> and the, the cards that you guys sent. Um, it was so appreciative. Um, um, I literally was at a church at one point where we had to always, um, it was kind of like inviting people to your own birthday party. We would get to like December and they would realize that we, oh, we did that again. Like we skipped October. And so that we get to that and then they're like, thank you could you put in the bulletin, uh, hey, we're having this big thing for pastor appreciation. And then we would end up, like me and the college guys would end up setting up for it and then recruiting people to it and having to announce it and everything. Like, hey, we're having this thing to appreciate me next week. And so that was always really fun. So um, we really appreciate you guys um, just always, not not only just the the financial gifts and those type things, but your lives uh, mean so much. I, I walk away from every. Um, gospel community, just just in, just incredibly encouraged hearing what God is doing in people's lives, hearing the godliness, um, just them sharing little bits and pieces, and so we thank you guys so much. Uh, you, even even the books. Um, um, now this one I didn't really understand. It, it said, "Help! I'm married to my pastor," and so inscribed on the inside, it just said, "Jamie, dot dot dot, run." So I, I don't know if you're insisting something. To just said, run. Um, another one um, just said, uh, inscribed in the book, said, Tyler or Sujan. So there's a mix-up on whose books as they handed them out. Said, Could either of you guys preach? Could either of you guys speak? And, and not so long. Could either of you guys talk to Sankey about what he's wearing? So I, I don't know. I think that was meant for them, not for me. So I got that book. No, I'm joking. Those, but thank you guys so much for um, the gifts, the resources, for thinking of us, um, and uh, we we really appreciate it. And, and, and just to let you know, like across the board, I think uh, globally, but also um, just uh, in America, definitely, um, it, it's a tough thing. They talk about it all the time. How many like thousands of guys every single month leave the ministry, and so and they say that uh, there there's kind of some ramifications of that, that, that most people who kind of gave their life, and especially those good years of their life, their 30s, 40s, 50s, get to like 55 and realize, I don't have a skill set to get like, you know, start into a new job or go back to school at 55. And so guys are leaving. It's really, really tough. And so um, I want you guys to know just how much it means just your lives, um, your, your um, support, your encouragement. So thank you guys so much. In a time when uh, many people are I'm um, leaving it and 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 feeling so discouraged. I hear it all the time and read it all the time. Your lives are so encouraging, and so thank you for I'm um, reaching out in that way. Um, we're going to be looking um, today at the parable of the mustard seed and leaven. So that's in Matthew 13. Um, and so if you want to turn there, we're going to be looking at that Matthew 13. So remember, this is where Jesus. This is where we kind of started out in the parables. Um, we skipped over it purposely. I kind of went through different ones. Um, and this one is, uh, a lot of scholars talk about that there are similarities. Remember, we, we learned that interpreting in interpreting parables, um, you need to be careful and not try to cross-mix um, details of the parable from one from another one and one from another one, kind of piece those things together. You have to be careful in that because Jesus wasn't trying to do it in that way. But sometimes he does pair a couple of parables together. And so um, let's read that one, uh, these two, Matthew 13, 31-33. in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. So let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you give these simple yet deep and profound parables. We thank you that you want to speak to us through them, that you want to open our eyes to see things about you, to see things about your kingdom to see things about the gospel, to see things about what you've accomplished in Christ, and to see things about ourselves and to see things about the world. All of those things in in simple little images that Jesus threw out there. Little stock images and pictures that we were supposed to take and learn from. And so would you, through the Holy Spirit, do that work that we can't do on our own. We're not smart enough. We're not spiritual enough. We're not good enough or moral enough. So we ask the Spirit to come in and reveal things to us. And it may not be this morning that we walk away with it. It may be a a, a conversation we have later this week, later this month, later this year. But would you let us learn today from these parables? In your name we pray, amen. Um, these, uh, these two parables, like I said, um, are... Um, kind of put together, and a lot of scholars would say that they are put together purposely, each parable having its main point that we've looked at, but these are very similar in their their points, their main points, and so we're going to get into that and see that in a little bit. Um, if we look at the parables that we've looked and we've received so far, um, we learn that the main point Um, as it comes out, it can go far in helping us to understand and become a people, a transformed people. His purpose was for them to see that comparison in the parable and to learn something about the the kingdom, but to learn something about God and specifically him. And in that, uh, hopefully we'll see that today with with the parable of the the leaven and with the mustard seed. But in those things, it should be a reminder every time that what he was speaking to was not just the, the broader world. It was out there, and the, so the, 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 the teaching was going out to the, the community at whole. But remember, he would always pull aside, and at one point it gets to the point where even a couple of the uh, gospel writers say he no longer taught the crowds, uh, the bigger crowds, in regular teaching. He only spoke to them in parables, that he would pull his disciples around. And, and scholars do believe that there were times when it wasn't just the 12, that there could be 12. And there, if, if they were in someone's house, there might be 15 to 18 to 20 other people. Sometimes when he would pull them aside, you see this if you really track through just um, the, the linear movements that they did to where it would be a smaller group, sometimes probably 60, 80, 100 people. But the main thing was to get this to the foundation of the church. Remember, those disciples, the apostles, were going to set the foundation of the church. Not only being the ones who gave us God's word, that God, the Holy Spirit, spoke through them for the New Testament, but that he was laying a foundation for them because their lives were going to need this. And so there should be transformation happening through this. Um, and in and, and all of that, we have to be reminded that it's about this kingdom of God that is already here. Jesus inaugurated, landed on the earth. It's here, and he was saying the kingdom is near you. The kingdom is here, but we know it's not yet fully. And so that we have to keep that mindset also um, when we're thinking through um, all the different things that we go through in life that we're not made just for this earth. And man, doesn't everything in our lives Point us to, you need this. This is what's important for today, this week, next month, your life. This is what's important. And and really, some of those things are not that big a deal um, comparatively with all of eternity. And we've got to remember that we're citizens of this earth, but we're not of this earth in the way that other people are, that we're citizens of heaven. We're part of the kingdom of God that is not the understanding of of our workplaces, of our neighborhoods. Uh, They don't understand some of those things. And so we're citizens of another kingdom, awaiting our king to come back. Um, And if we take these together, we have to start thinking through understanding what Christ desires for his kingdom people in the midst of a world that's kind of set against the kingdom. Um, And no one's kind of arguing that inside the church, but we're doing that until he returns. What does it look like for us to live out the kingdom citizenship with with a different king than than what's ruling the earth at the time? Um, We can piece together these snapshots if we look at the ones that we've um, went through together. So if we just think through the snapshots, the persistent widow um, last week, remember the point for us, the human side of that was to to, to not lose heart, to pray, be faithful in prayer and not losing heart. And why would that be important? Because he knew you're going to be tempted to lose heart. There's going to be so many things. You can try to keep all your rules and do all the right things and follow God, and you're still going to be tempted to lose heart. Things are going to hit your life. So that's what we can do. What's the overall picture of that? That God is an infinite, loving, good, good father. So even the persistent widow is not how much you can do, how much you can pray, how much you can hold it together and not lose heart. No, no, no. You, You can't even do that yourself. It's all based upon the goodness of God. He's a good, good father. Because he's a good, good father... The persistent widow, remember the comparison, the unrighteous judge versus this good, good father. That's who we're looking to. It's frustrating being the king, but we've got a good, good father. It's frustrating when everything seems to work against it, but we've got a good, good father. So I can pray and I don't have to lose heart. He he is gonna bring justice. And so the the one before that was the, the unmerciful servant. And the idea there was if you've understood mercy then surely you would be a person of mercy, right? What's that based on? So that's our part. Hey, be merciful. And remember, for you know, 40, 50 years, kind of the church mantra, or maybe maybe the, the the way it was taught was more on a command. So, hey, here's an unmerciful servant. Jesus tells him, if, if you've experienced mercy, church, you've just got to be more merciful. And so it's this go and do, go and do. Well, there is an issue of obedience there, clearly. But that was all that was taught, not based off, off of the indicative um, and so, what it was, was um, you had the imperative of the commands go and do this, go and do this, Christian, go and do this, Christian. Instead, it's no, the imperative command is flowing out of the indicative, your new identity in Christ. What, what God, because of what God has done, gaze, focus at that. Staring at that, wouldn't you want to be a person of mercy? Not just people hurt your feelings at work, just be merciful. Just be merciful because that doesn't work for us, does it? If you're not connected and abiding in Christ and if you're not pausing and three people hurt your feelings at work and you pause and go, man, I hurt. My sin affected Christ incredibly and yet he was merciful. I think I can shed a little mercy because so-and-so hurt my feelings, said my hair looked funny. Uh, I think that's a, a little bit different than me secretly pursuing, enjoying, indulging and pleasuring myself in these horrible sins that Christ paid for. I think Sam saying something about my hair can, can probably be you know, forgiven and I can show mercy because of how great God is in that. Um, the hidden treasure, Christ as our one passionate treasure above all things. Um, this idea of not duty, but delighting in him. If he was a true treasure, you would do anything. You would give everything that you have for him. And we said, not in this uh, legalistic way of, I've got to sell everything off, can't have TVs, can't have nice vehicles, won't even have a house. No, you're going to have to have a job. You're going to have to have these things. You're going to go on vacation. You're going to have food, all those things. The the Aesthetics is not the, the point of that. It was, no, but he should be this pleasure that has his own category beyond all things. Um, And then the weeds, God's design of his church in the midst of a fallen world. He he said, hey, I just want to warn you, someone has planted some enemy seeds. It's the devil. There's going to be evil around you at all times. So the church, how will you interact in a world that I've set up to where there's going to be evil around you at all times? And the good question is, well, why did he set it up that way? If we didn't understand what evil was and hurt and pain, we would have no reason for a savior, we would have no reason for redemption. We would have no reason to love if hate is just neutral. Then just just hate. But if then if you experience hate and then you learn about love, ultimate love. If you've experienced getting hurt and, and you learn about and experience forgiveness. If you if you experience sin and the guilt and the shame and the bad things. So at first you do this thing, this action, this attitude, these words about people, and it feels really good in the moment to sin. And then your heart goes, that's a miserable life. That's a miserable place to be, even though it looked good. And then you learn about redemption. That's why he did it. So we, we learn about love and grace and mercy, the beauty of those things, those things flowing out of him because he decided to go, here's, here's the tree, Adam, Eve. Don't eat for this. Here, you can have all this, but I'm telling you, this is going to destroy you. And that was good of him. That that was wise, because we can always go like, why did he put that tree there? Like, why couldn't it just been just all of us, you know, they multiplied and everything went good? Because there's a beautiful picture there of God, instead of creating robots, where we do, he becomes irresistible in his grace to us. And so the the sower, the same thing, just that that idea of there's going to be these people that God, no one earned it, no one could, could do it on their own, but he poured out grace and love to them. And so we want to see those beautiful things put together as we think through the kingdom. Today in the the mustard seed and the leaven, here's the main point. The mysterious nature of the kingdom is that even though it starts out small and seemingly insignificant, so mustard seed and leaven, tiny, the kingdom has infinite, beautiful, life-giving, explosive potential for both this life and eternity. So again, just the mysterious nature of the kingdom is that even though it starts out very tiny and small, seemingly insignificant, the kingdom has infinite, beautiful, life-giving, explosive potential for both this life and eternity. Um, So let's look at that, that first section. He goes into the mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed. And so everyone knows that a tiny grain of mustard seed is so small, would seem like nothing good could come of it, especially nothing big and powerful and expansive. And so he's using that comparison. So that's just a very clear comparison. And so notice what he says about um, the mustard seed that a man took and he sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it's larger than all. So um, he's wanting to see this idea of something with a very tiny beginning, The kingdom of God. And so at this time, think through these disciples. He hasn't even died on the cross yet, but they're going to learn in just a couple of years this idea of this church that he was developing. And they didn't didn't have the word church. They weren't thinking, oh, hey, it's going to turn into this thing where we're we're separate from the synagogue, and then we're going to be spreading this message all over. They were learning, weren't they? They were going out. He's like, hey, you know what I've been doing? I want you to go and do that. I want you to go and teach them about the kingdom of God. I want you to teach them repentance in the name of the Lord. I want you to teach those, and they would go out, and sometimes it was good, sometimes it was bad. And so he was showing them, that's going to be your identity. Um, The Holy Spirit's going to come on you, and you're going to be my witnesses. And so your life is going to be wrapped up in me. And so um, he, he wanted to show them, this is what it's going to be like. And it's going to start out very, very small, expressed through the very life and mission of the church in its earliest and smallest stages, that one day could grow and expand and permeate till it fills more and more spaces throughout the earth. And look, we're in Tulsa, Oklahoma, from, in Acts, 12 people, and one's hanging outside, so it's 11. And and now those guys, the discouragement, all the things that they experienced, and and you you just couldn't imagine anything growing from how small and how difficult that was. If we were to say, even just our group in a church plant, like, hey, in 50 years, there's going to be, you know, 20 of these, and they'll be filled with 2,000 people. You just go, man, I just can't see that ever happening. That, that, that's the power of God. That's the exponential power of God, his faithfulness in that. And so a beautiful picture that he uses, this mustard seed idea. Um, the main picture Jesus, one of the disciples and the early church, and us to get was that of something very small that becomes something very powerfully strong from, from a tiny seed that seems like nothing a powerful tree now there are scholars that have interpreted just so you know so if be careful if you go clicking on like hey I want to look up these parables just know the one that you hit so uh, one that's just it's, it's hilarious if you click on those type of things um, so the there's two different websites but just know that you know there's lots of uh, uh, what is it out in Utah? The, uh, the Mormons, and then also, so the Latter day Saints, and there's another one, it's a cult, but it's, it's one, if you go Googling stuff, they'll pop up first, and I, I think it's the money, obviously, and so it's, it's cultish, so I'm sure Satan has something to do with that, but it's usually like in the top five or six. So if you click on it, it sounds good at first, and you're like, hold it. Is this Mormons? And so then you realize, like, this is way off, and it sounds really, really good. It's talking good about Jesus. We should be this way. And you're like, hold it. I shouldn't have 12 wives. And so in the middle of that, it gets weird. So be careful when you just go clicking on stuff. You need to know sometimes the the, the interpreters, they were influenced by certain things. And sometimes it's not orthodoxy. Um, And what I mean by that is some people have interpreted this parable to say this was not about... The kingdom of God and the church growing from something tiny and small early on to something that was going to expand and fill the earth with the glory of the Lord. That, that In fact, some people interpreted it as this is another picture of evil inside the church corruption inside the church and that's not what he's meaning here but they would say that that so first of all they would say and even um liberal theology that kicked in the heavy in the 60s also kicked in back in the 1600s kicked in 1700s kicked in back in the 1200s so it's nothing new so if you go through church history like it always kicks in where someone goes hold it the bible it's got all kinds of errors so they would say this they would say uh, if you know a mustard seed a mustard uh, plant it grows it's more of a bush it never turns into a huge, expansive tree. So you're thinking mighty, mighty oak tree or those beautiful Florida oaks that grow up and they're just huge. They would say, so, so the Bible is wrong. Jesus lied. Jesus missed it. He definitely is a God. And so that's not, Jesus is trying to paint this picture. Actually in Syria, Iran, um, Iraq, the mustard seed, for whatever about the climate and the aridness and all this stuff, it goes from the regular bush mustard plant to it actually turns that the branches get solider and something happens where they're actually trees. So when he was saying that, the people were going, yeah, we've seen this. The tiny mustard seed that turns into a solid tree. So what we think of as an American or Western mustard plant or whatever, it really were—it was a solid tree and they would have seen birds. Liberal scholars would say birds always represent evil and demons, biblically speaking. And even in extra biblical writings, they would say birds, ravens, they kind of sometimes um, represent evil that wants to fly in and hover into things. And so liberal scholars took this and said, See, you can't trust the Bible. This is wrong. Jesus didn't know what he's talking about, he didn't even understand mustard trees. And, and he mustard bushes. And so um, just know that that we don't agree with that. We know that Jesus is ta- teaching a beautiful picture of these two parables of something small that expands and turns into something beautiful. Um, and even even the, the, the idea of trees, sometimes we're using the Old Testament with uh, Daniel, with Ezekiel, where a tree represented a kingdom. So remember in Daniel, we went through the book of Daniel, remember the tree, the vision, the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had? And so a tree can represent a kingdom. And so the people would understand that. And so uh, that's just some of the things, in case you click on something, think through um, how beautiful, if you begin to start looking at the the depth of the reality of this tiny little mustard seed, this tiny little parable that Jesus is teaching here, from something small to something great, um, simple carpenter, we're we're usually drawn as a people, just like in their day, Jesus became popular because of all his miracles and his teaching. His teaching was powerful, powerful, but it was more of an entertainment factor. And that's why John finally says, pretty far through the book, like Jesus didn't give himself over to the crowd because he knew their hearts weren't really wanting to repent. They weren't wanting to um give themselves over and surrender. They they just wanted him to work more miracles. They wanted him to do that. And so so Jesus knew that about them. And so we are kind of all drawn to powerfully elite leaders. So just think we, we really are from, I mean, you know, it blows me away when people like, when the, you know, internet people or influencers, whatever, like they might not have a real skill. They just have real pretty eyes or something. And like, hey, did you know that girl made $40 billion last year because she came out with an eyeliner? She just happened to have pretty eyes. And like, she's making $40 billion. like no skill no, no ability, no anything. People just come and said, Hey, we've got these cosmetics over here. We want to slap your name on it, put you on a commercial. We'll all make billions of dollars. And so, and, and what do women do? Like, oh, I'll be as beautiful as her. Or the guys on that, I hate the, the one guy that he pops up, he's always got a shirt off. And he's, just, he's like, hey, he's got that phone. He's like, hey, man, you, right, you probably believe that no carbs and all this stuff, and he's got all these things that all of us are like, yeah, I do that, and I'm trying to work out. And I'm trying, he's like, none of that stuff works. I've got the secret. If you'll click on this below and all these things, and you know, I think he has like you know, 10 million followers. Our boys would believe whatever. he said. like, go jump off your roof, land on your neck, They'd be like, and you'll end up like me. And like, okay, I'm getting on the roof, Dad. And so uh, those people that do that, why, why do we do that? Because we believe that they, they have something powerful that we could borrow from them and then we can kind of borrow that part and then be like them. And so let's think through Jesus. And, that, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. But Isaiah, he gave us a prophecy of what God's Messiah would be like. So, so look at Isaiah 53. This is a verses 2 through 3. We see this picture instead of this, this, this type of leader that everyone would want to follow to someone who's despised, rejected, betrayed, killed on a shameful cross, but a beautiful, glorious ending. And so Isaiah's picture, of here, here's this leader that God's sending, for he grew up before him like a young plant. That's just talking about Jesus and the father and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form, so, so no outward appearance or majesty that we would even look at him. And that's, that's what we like, isn't it? We want majesty. We want something that kind of catches our eye, that's captivating. And he says, that, that's not him. And he had no beauty that we should even desire him. And think through that again. Man, has God not made some beautiful people? So just just men, women, just beautiful people. And the Father and the Son and the Spirit said, that's not what we're going to use to attract people to this guy. In fact, just a common rough carpenter from a no-place town. Nothing beautiful, nothing of majesty. He was despised and rejected. By men, a man of sorrows. So, so think about that. Rejected by men. That, that's what you want in a leader, right? Like you're trying to grow an organization, you want a revolution. Someone who's rejected by men, that's what you're wanting. Even his own people. And God goes, there's something different about this kingdom. It's countercultural, it's counterintuitive. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Again, you, know, you can go to Pinterest or Google or whatever, uh, top 10 qualities of a leader. And, and you, know, you don't hear all of us just saying, you know, like, uh, man, man our, our, our guy, he's just real acquainted with sorrow and grief. It's great. You know, the president of your company, like, yeah, we, all, we just see him sometimes weeping and tears in his office. It's amazing. We love it here. He, he's a man of sorrows and well acquainted with grief. Like, that's not a top 10 quality, is it? Like, we don't want to follow that guy. Let's all come over here and just like sit and think through what's going on and let's just pray. Like, oh, well, has anyone else got anything else going on? Um, one from which men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. So, so truly, he had nothing to offer. What I was is nothing that the world would desire. Nothing that the natural world would look at and desire. And all of this, All of those things that Isaiah just described is exactly why I believe that America right now could care less about him. And 50 to 60% of the church went, I don't really need him. It's it's nothing really desirous, nothing really that's helping me, nothing really that's available. He has nothing to offer me. The last 50 or 60 years, the trend has been church growth movement let's give Jesus a makeover. Let, let, let's gussy up the picture of, of, uh, of Jesus and, and make a makeover to where he's a more appealing Jesus. He's this type of leader. He's this type of man. He's this type of, and, and no one was okay with just Isaiah 53's version of Jesus. Man, I, I think that the world, I think that where we're at as a nation, man, we need the Isaiah 53 version of Jesus. And like, Why, why not just rip all that away and just go, hey, do you, do you understand that? If you'd be honest, I think your brokenness, your hurt, your loneliness, your despair, your concerns, your fears, there's a man that you can follow. He understands those things. Even in that, you know, that new, I think it's popular. I read about before it about six months, I guess, some pastoral stuff. Um, he gets us. Have y'all seen those ads? Like they pay a lot. And like they'll do like, like primetime uh, NFL game, prime time thing. And so it, you may have not noticed the commercial. It's this whole campaign on he gets us. And so they they even do Jesus Jesus. J-E-S-U-S, and they'll highlight the U-S, so Jesus, us, he gets us. So I, I appreciate it. I think they're on to something there. I, they make it a little bit man-centered. They're, like, they're, they're trying to show kind of like he, he it's a little psychology, but I, I do appreciate it because they're, what they're trying to do is right in the middle of prime culture, like just say, Jesus is what you're looking for. Jesus is this whole thing. And so it's not a bad deal. I like some of the stuff. I don't know if they're going to end up, you know, they're probably going to start making some money. Like, hey, we made $6 million last year off this. Hey, let's, let's do this now. Um, and so, but just that idea that, that, that Isaiah 53 is a beautiful version of Jesus. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. So not only on the first part there did, did man and the world not care about him, nothing to offer, nothing of majesty, nothing we would knock like about him, then Isaiah says, actually, it looks like even God is against this guy. He's stricken by God. So remember, cursed is anyone who, who dies on a cross— So they believe, and when you look at his life, remember 2 Corinthians, Paul was done with that, everyone judging, like, if we look at your life, it doesn't look like that you're a person who's close to God because all this calamity, all these problems, all these horrible things, and and Isaiah saying, it's going to look like this. It's going to look like God is even against this guy, stricken, smitten by God. And so the reality, again, is, yeah, it is. But, then then verse 5, but... If all that's true, it was for our sake. It is true he was smitten by God. It is true he was stricken by God. It is true his life got worse and worse and worse and destroyed, and everyone left him. And all those things from man's perspective, and even if you look at it, looks like God's even against this guy. It was for our sake. He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement That brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. And then, verse 6 all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, every one of us, to our own way. Why? Because he has nothing to offer. That's the reality we all know the brokenness, the despair, the emptiness, the separation from our Creator. And here's God's payback. That's what everyone's done. He's got this Messiah coming. And here's God's payback. For for all of us turning to our own way, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's what we get. Stepping up, Sankey. You get to step aside, move out of the way. The chastisement was placed on him. You get to go free. You get his righteousness robed around you in new idea, as if you've never done anything. That's what kind of mercy and love, and grace that that, that just flows out of me. Not holding it against you, not keeping it against you, Jesus took on that chastisement. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. So that chastisement, excruciating pain, not just the physical stuff of Jesus on the nails and the things and the whippings, and those things were just unimaginable as a human side, but remember, this is holiness. We, We don't even understand how an essence of holiness could begin to have sexual sin laid on it. So, so some of those scary stories of those people, there's new things that pop out on Netflix all the time, You know, like this new kind of crime scene stuff, and you're like, wow, people are really evilly demeaning. And so those acts that those people did, those things that people have done, those placed on holiness. So that's what he went through. So a perfectly holy God feeling the dirtiness, the shame, the guilt, even though he never committed a sin, but that the Father had to take that chastisement out on him. From despised, rejected, betrayed, killed on a shameful cross, something, something miserably small and pitiful to raising out of that grave. A glorious ending. But think about the depth and the, the beauty of that seed principle. And, and notice verse 10. It was the will of the Lord. It was the will of the Father to crush him. And so that's the picture. Remember, Jesus taught at a different point. He taught this same, it was a different scenario, but he taught the seed thought. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So Jesus in our parables teaching about the beauty of this small, seemingly powerless mustard seed. And the reality is Jesus becomes that seed. So, so think through this. And this is what is the foolishness to the world. This is what is the stumbling block to many and to the Jews. It's not even just the doctrines or facts about Jesus that are the seeds, but Jesus himself becomes the very seed that died, and from that produced the kingdom of God. So, so think through this. He's talking about this thing that we can't really see. We like we've talked about before. There's a tangible part, it's me and you. We have skin, we have flesh. It's tangible, the kingdom of God. We're serving each other. We're loving each other. We're doing good deeds to each other. It's tangible. We feel it, but it's also intangible. We can't see what's behind it. We can't see the the spiritual realm, the angels, the demons, the fights that's going on. So there's this tangible part. There's this intangible part. And that whole picture of the kingdom of God at one time, all enclosed in Jesus Christ himself. Think about that. Your understanding of doctrine Substitutional atonement, beautiful truths that you don't know. Every single bit of that that we know as Christianity, whatever your thoughts, all theology, enclosed in this one seed person of Jesus Christ. The church burst forth out of what? Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God, the church, our theology, the rich, your obedience hey, you you stopped enjoying sin and now you are wanting to pursue righteousness even though you struggle. Where would that come from? The very essence of Jesus himself. So he's pointing them to this picture of this small, tiny thing that just explodes and he's going, it's all pointing back to me. None none of it would exist. Kingdom of God wouldn't exist if not for me. The the, the whole church, the movement of the church, missions, theology, salvation, justification, sanctification, all in this thing. And these, these guys are sitting here listening to him. Having no idea what that's going to mean. The millions of books that are written, all coming in, and he's going, it's all pointing back. You can't even understand the depth of who I am. And yet he's saying this simple little picture. Um, just just what what a gracious guy to do that. It's all enclosed in him, um, bursting forth out of that. He goes on to that second parable, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and, and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Um, one little sentence in so much depth, again, because what he's talking about is, so um, you know, they talk about leaven, any of those agents, it could be um, different types of uh, um, elements in baking that, that are used, and so in that, there's many different versions that will attached to, and on a very microscopic level, to the other elements inside the bread. And then they begin to expand, and they begin to spread, and it begins to permeate. And so this was this picture. And back in that day, they didn't go to the store and get bread. They had Everyone had to make bread from scratch. You couldn't sit there and put that in a bowl and then sit there and just watch it. It's kind of like watching a kid grow. You don't get to see him every day. Hey, hey, look. Hey, Jamie, Jamie. We were watching the show. He just grew a centimeter. He just grew a centimeter. Did you see that? He grew two centimeters last night. Listen, you, you can't see it. You just know that, man, all of a sudden, they're a lot bigger. So the same thing with bread. You can't sit there and watch it and see it step by step. But all you know that over time, you get to see the end picture. And that's part of what Jesus was trying to show them, was that you're going to get to see the end picture of that. It. It's going to permeate everything. Um, when, when All from this one little bitty sentence that he says. Um, when we were, uh, last couple of Christmases, uh, the boys and Jamie and I, would go to uh, one of our friends, and they have a, a Christmas Eve service, and so we go, and so the first time we went, um, we went, and there's tons of people there, and, and then, but, the, but when we got to the sermon, they did lots of songs, but then the sermon was about literally like 11 minutes, and so our boys were like, Dad, man, we love this place. Like, that's a great sermon. Dad, you need to learn from him. Like 11 minutes, like they're just, I and mean, they're smiling, be bopping around, you know? And so then, then last year we went and we got mixed up on the time. Uh, they had like a 4.30. Who does a 4.30, sir? Jesus isn't even there. And so like 4.30 in the afternoon, they do this thing, this, this Christmas Eve, service. We messed up. We were thinking it's 5.30. So we get there at like 5.20. And so we, we walk up and I noticed, I was like, man, there's no one walking in. There's you know, usually a lot of people. You, we walk in the vestibule area. And there's no one standing. There's, it's empty hallways. And there's hundreds of people there. The TV shows all the people inside. And they've got their little candle lit thing, you know, where the light of the world. And then I was like, oh, man. And Jamie's like, are you sure? It's 530. I was like, yeah, who would do anything earlier? And so then we walk in. And so we're kind of quiet, like, hey, be quiet. We just stand behind the back row. And, and literally, we walk in. And, it, and about three minutes later, um, he, he's like, and so let's pray. And it's over. And the boy, and no one's praying. The boy's looking at me like, Dad, way to go. He's like, this year is even better. It was a three-minute service and it's a sermon. So here's Jesus with this one line that really encapsulates the beauty of the whole kingdom spreading, permeating the whole earth. How would, how would those disciples understand the gospel spreading like it did? Um, just some beautiful stuff. So that's what leaven did. Uh, it, it spread and permeated, caused transformation. And Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is like this leaven, this element that brings change that causes expansion, influencing everything that it touches, everything that it, on every single side. And so we know that's what he was wanting them to see. That, that's what the kingdom is going to be like. It's going to spread, and we know that there's still going to be like the weeds and the tares. There's going to be evil around. There's going to be even sin inside the church. But but this leaven, the the righteousness, the goodness of Christ is going to spread and permeate and bring change. And if you if you look at the world, I had one professor that ever I had two classes with him. He almost every week, all he brought up, he brought up, he loved this theme was that if you study. Christianity, when it goes into a world of where it's just only Islam or only Hinduism or only whatever, you know, pagan religion or an animalistic tribe, when Christianity comes there, within a few years, like people start living longer. They bring medications, they bring doctors, they bring dentists, they, they bring people of healthcare, they, they bring counselors. They, so, all kinds of things, and people start living longer marriages are restored. They start having a better commerce. Different things happen. So he shows, he and he has this slide, and it just shows all this stuff. But that's the reality, and that's, that's what's happened. Christianity, when it goes into a place, it brings light. It doesn't mean that there won't be sin, that there won't be trouble, that there won't be problems. Look at, look at China, look at North Korea, look at South Korea, look at the Middle East, um, some of those places, The church is thriving and flourishing in the middle of a government that's trying to oppress it and beat it down, and you can't stop the gospel. You can't stop the power of God, and so that's what Jesus was showing here. And so the three things I had: there's the kingdom has explosive potential. Remember in the book of Acts, there. Who would have thought that that would happen? And even though there's three thousand people that come, kind of come to Christ, all of a sudden, um, still there's this mustard seed principle. And even those in that that one room there, they couldn't have imagined this was going to spread to the whole world, even though Jesus had told them that. Um, And that second thing is we've got to remember that we've got to measure the kingdom in in correct metrics. Again, there's all these um, things that... eh, Kind of our American version of the church, and now you add media where we can see stuff going on all over the place. And sometimes we get off thinking that, um, oh, this is what success would be. This is what the church would look like. This is what true gospel expansion would look like. And sometimes it's pragmatics, which has ruled the day for 50 or 60 years for a couple of big denominations. And so to see that is not necessarily what's going on. So, so let me ask you this, is the kingdom changing you? Is there some mustard seed and, and some, some leaven changing and transforming your heart to where we become representatives and extensions of the kingdom of God in our, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, the relationships, the lives? And I've watched many, many of you walk with people for, for a year through horrible situations, two years, three years Four years, that's what we're talking about. And it always we always want the situation where you talk with someone for like an hour and they just like fall down on their knees crying like, I just need this Jesus you're talking about. And it just their whole life just it changes. That's not usually the, the typical thing, is it? It takes years, especially if they you know, say under the age 18, the number of people that come to Christ after 18 it drops down dramatically. And the ones that do come to Christ from their 20s to like their 60s, It's not just a first time, you know, Falls Creek experience. It takes time and years. So that's why we pray and we don't lose heart. And we remember he's a good, good father. And that's why we keep on investing in people. We keep on living these kingdom principles. We keep the mindset of of that mustard seed that's planted. We keep the mindset of this leaven that's spreading. It takes time for that bread. It doesn't just happen immediately. It takes time for those things. And he was saying, "That's, that's what it's gonna be like permeating the whole world. So we see those principles at work. And the last one, there's just God's timing. Um, God's timing means, hey, we set our own expectation, but in the process of you wanting to see people come to the cross, if you want to see uh, people saved in this area, it's going to be God's timing. God forbid that we get so good at stealing cool signs or cool logos or cool or, or Brad gets you know a whole bunch of people up here that are just so entertaining, so good-looking, that people are coming for that, and you find out later on that that's what people were coming for. Or you change your gospel presentation, your version of Jesus, to make it more palatable for the crowd. And so God's timing means in the middle of that, when, when you're looking at the leaven and you're not seeing anything, you're going, hey, God, you're still a good, good father. You're praying that your family would be changed. You're praying that your children would be changed. You're praying that that people around you would be changed. So you're a good, good father. I'm not going to stop praying. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to rest and even enjoy you when it seems like nothing is going on. I'm telling you, that may be where we're at for a while as Americans. Are you okay with that type of God? Are we resting and trusting him? And in God's timing, resting and enjoying him, our gospel words and our gospel deeds, So um, in that, when we take these ideas of um, understanding that the power of the gospel is what brings salvation, only through the atonement of Christ are people going to be saved, only through the name of Christ. Um, We want to begin to see slow transformation of culture, um, faithful gospel presence in particular areas and communities. So if we take this not only for us locally, but also globally, um, praying for God to provide um, a place So one of the things, the application of this for for a long time, just been thinking through, like we have to close down. We're here nine to one, nine to one. And we pay that money for just nine to one. And so people during the week, it's it's hard to find us. And we, all of us agree, all of us have been taught, the church is not a building, but we want to begin to ask God, uh, would you provide a place that would be a a, 24-7, a physical geographical site where people can drive past it and see it? You know, um, Metro does a good job. Metro doesn't try to put, you, they have one little small sign, like it's like a you know, four inch by, by nine inch sign up there. And that's it, like Metro Christian turn here. And the first two or three times we'd come here for different things before, I, well, we just drove right past it. And so it sits far, far back. And so we're, we're praying, hey God, do you want us to be in this area, two or three mile circle here, but we're a permanent, more permanent building, not only permanent like forever, but two to four years to where more people could visibly see us. And what happens with that building is this place where the equipping of the saints? Maybe some classrooms. Uh, some people have mentioned, "Hey, we'd love to have this this one age group from like you know four to ten, where we had some Sunday school classes, and we could have classrooms that we could do that in, and that we could do that right before service, you know, for thirty minutes before service, and and then be able to um, equip the saints with different classes, uh, a meeting space like that. But you're also able to." Um, have a presence, a faithful gospel presence in the community that they know that's that place that's really showing the love of Christ. They teach a solid gospel and their words, I mean, their deeds follow up with that, that if this is how Jesus would treat people, that's what we see them doing, not for their glory, but in a generous way always serving others type of mentality, a humility. And so be praying with us about that. Would you join us in praying for that? Not only the visible geographic space, but also, I I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on uh, uh, MySpace. Is MySpace still doing good? I may get one of those things. I was joking. And so uh, and some of you are like, you think he really believes in MySpace. And so... Uh, I'm not, I'm not big into those things. I'm not against those things. So I don't do it because I'm like opposed, like that's the devil. I know that. And especially for the younger crowds and younger people, um, that's what we want. But at the same time, we want to have, have a digital space as well as a, a digital space as well as a, we've got horrible elders here, right? Can you believe this? And so uh, I'm joking. So people are listening like, what just happened? Uh, we've got a little girl running around and, so, and we love little kids running around. So in that, we have a digital space as well as a, as a geographic uh, location. Um, so so think through that. And we need, we, we want to be able to have that. And so would you join us in praying November and December, saying, hey, God, would you allow that to happen? And so just pray. We, uh, there's several, there's four or five that are kind of we've been looking at. Brad has even helped me in that stuff. He's kind of gifted in some of those areas. But if you know someone, you know, let me know. But we, we want to be able to have a physical space and also a digital space. And so that takes some time and takes some money. But would you join in praying and seeking the Lord to provide that space? The goal of that, is always souls. It's not a building space, a cool building. It's definitely not for my name. We, we, just so you'll know, if you're. we didn't put sermons out there for like the first three years. So it wasn't like a lot of, I've, I've met a lot of you, you know, 30-year-old church planner guys like, hey, before we start, I'm just going to start doing sermons on my own in my bedroom, and I think it's just going to grow the church. And you're like, oh, you're the next Matt Chandler or John Piper, huh? And so, and, you know, and, and two months later, they're, you know, working at wherever. And so, In that idea, it's not about a person, it's not about a church name, it's about Christ, but it's about being a place that's loving and welcoming to to people where they're at, but then teaching solid, beautiful truths about God that would expand the kingdom. And so pray with us in that for November, for December. Pray, God, would you give us the kingdom? Would you show us some powerful works that you're doing? And would you show us some beautiful things that you want to do? renewal of passion for Christ in the lives of believers, but also renewal of personal devotion and holiness to where people are just going, hey, we've been through a rough couple of years, some things happening. The world's kind of in a crazy, chaotic thing politically and nation-wise and leader-wise. But but, hey, would you do a work inside me, spiritual renewal, but also renewal of marriages and families and homes and neighborhoods and communities. Um, we, We would have to say, God, we just believe that you don't really have that power anymore if we're not going to pray that way. And so would you join us in praying that way? Um, That would be a good application of this. As we move into the Lord's Supper, um, taking what we've seen about leaven and bread, many of you guys know John 6. um, Jesus said, "'Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven,' But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Now, that, that's a pretty big statement. That, that's an offensive statement for, for Jews, right? You know, like Moses, don't start talking about, bad about Moses. It wasn't Moses who gave you bread. It was my Father who gives true bread from heaven. Like that. Now you're just saying you're God's son. Remember, people didn't like that. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us that bread always. And then Jesus says, I am the bread of life. So we've talked about this idea that, that him being the bread of life and that spreading, him being that seed. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And so as we go into the time of the Lord's supper, just think through, so what are you hungering for today? What are you looking to to quench thirst in life Are you participating in the kingdom of God or are you completely consumed by bigger, more more powerful, alluring things in this life that always promise what they can't deliver, whether that's your career, whether that's an idea of a certain family, whether that's success, whether that's uh, riches, whatever that would be. Jesus offers us himself, I am the bread of life. And so are you feasting on him or is he just a small undesirable nibble at the end of the week that you filled yourself up all week long on these things and of course we're not very hungry. Of course we're not very thirsty for him. He's just an undesirable nibble that's kind of self-fulfilling. If we come in broken and hurting, we have to understand that he understands us and sees us and meets us there. Our provider of life when all of life feels like misery and death. Um, If if we come in rejoicing and celebrating, things are going well. It reminds us of a future rejoicing that is unimaginable and indescribable in this place, which would only make us want to rejoice even more. And so if you're coming in today and and you're in one of those places of brokenness or or rejoicing, we participate in the Lord's Supper each week to do more of that, to, to look more at the brokenness, but to look more also at the rejoicing. And so we do this because Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And he gave us this picture of the Lord's Supper, this meal with his closest friends to say everyone participates in this, no matter what class, no matter what gender, man or woman, um, person that's coming from the worst background, person that's coming from the highest background. We all come to the foot of the cross together. And Jesus says, I am the one that supplies and provides this for you. So let me pray over the Lord's Supper. Father, we thank you for... um, this beautiful picture of leaven that you are permeating and spreading and expanding your kingdom to places that we could not imagine, that governments and nations and kings and and presidents have tried to rule you out and you have ruled over them and they are dead in their graves. And we thank you that your power rose Jesus from the grave. And we see the mustard seed that goes from something so small that those 11 disciples and those um, believers in that first room would not have imagined that we would be sitting here in a gym in another continent 2,000 years later. But but the sustaining power of your word and your gospel and your spirit has brought that life to us, that everlasting life. And that this mustard seed picture has spread and it's grown so large that we, we, we hang our lives on it. And so we thank you that that is your power. We participate in the Lord's Supper just thinking through that you truly are the bread of life in Jesus. We confess that we want to, have so many appetizers. We we are appetized by so many different things in our lives, entertainment, comfort, success, and so quickly they raise from being something of just normalcy to an idol that takes center stage. And so we confess that to you and say that we want you to be the bread of life, that we would proclaim like these people, give it to us all the time. Give us that type of bread. Would Would you open our hearts to that? We thank you for this picture that you've given us. We pray that you would be glorified as we participate. In your name we pray, amen.